Welcome to the Hospitality Podcast. Where's the lamb sauce? Come on, man. I just need a... This lamb Where's the lamb sauce? sauce? Presented by Arthur Gomez. God damn, I just spent $8,000 on some wine. And Quentin Wind. What are you? An idiot sandwich. So pour yourself a glass because we're diving into the world of restaurants, kitchen and bar. The Hospitality Podcast. Welcome, guys, for another episode, episode three. Yeah. Once every week, that's our target. And today we have a special guest, uh, Arnaud Compass, who's a pioneer in the uh, wine industry. He's opened a few businesses and worked also in multiple countries and yeah. um, now doing a, a bit of consultancy there. And yeah, he knows everything about wine. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, you never know anything about wine. <laughs> Every year you have to start something new because it's a new vintage. Huh? Yeah. Uh, that's the thing about wine. That's the beauty uh, of the wine. That's the good thing about wine. Like yeah. You never know everything you know, you about resent. the wine. I like yeah. that. Every time. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so to start off, do you want to present a little bit about yourself? I've landed in London by pure chance, you know, like I, I came for one week okay. and I, I never left. So in France, you know, you, you had to do your military service. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I've done my long study, wine study and, and geography study. And I was waiting in England to do my military service. So to do 18 months for my country. And then my father phoned me a week in London and told me like, I was exempted. I didn't have to do the military service. So I was like, you know, I don't have to spend 18 months of my life jumping out of planes because I would have been to a, a parachutist, you know, okay, uh, yeah. say not the ideal. Maybe I can stay 18 months in England and learn English. So that's when I've decided to stay in London. I really enjoyed and studying uh, history at school. And I really enjoyed this period of Adam Smith, the mercantilist. Uh -huh. So I thought it is a country where you can make it, yeah. <laughs> understand about, you know, projects, everything it might be London. So I created business plans yeah. and I was going everywhere, trying to sell my mini business plan. You know, I was like 18 months, couldn't speak English, started in hospitality, but I quickly landed uh, a little stand in Borough Market. Oh, so you started at Borough Market with a stool? Kind of, because borough market is not what you have in mind, you know. Okay. You know, if I ask you, borough market it is one of the biggest tourist attractions in London, you know, yeah, the second biggest tourist attraction. Mm, I can say, like, in, in 2000, 2001, there was like four or five of us. Yeah, you, you were one of, yeah. of them. From Targon? Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, so, yeah I, I was like in 2001, 2002. We just playing chess all day, you know, like on, on Saturdays, we're building a little stand, and I thought, wow. I'm going to do organic wines, you know, something cool. Yeah, and something you know, cool. that sounds like biodynamic, you know. And we, every Saturday, it was like, we're having fun. There was no customer at all. Zero customers. Time to time with a customer, spending a bit of a 30 pound week, very happy. Mm. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. It, and there was like, because Borough Market was a night market where the restaurants used to get the supply from for on, on even veg, yeah. for veg uh -huh. and and fruits mm -hmm. and the chef would come very early in the morning do the shopping and then cook the, the fresh fruit and veg okay but then there was an embryo of traders or embryo of very passionate people i thought we as the market is alive during the night and is you know dormant during the day you could do something I understand well this is where bidel's kind of started bidel's and started straight on you know we started with three four wine stand there was four wine stand where you see like the wine is still in borough market mm. 
And they were like four stands and kind of competitors, of course, but not a real competition. Was were like wine, French wine, Rosé Blanc, the other one was Carter Brothers. The other one was Le Marché du Quartier. Okay, mm, okay yeah, the French, the French corner. And Utopia. And what happened is we were asking for a license everywhere. Temporary license oh, wow. to be okay. granted, to be outside. Okay. And the court granted us one license, permanent license, under one condition. We had to collectively be under one license. Okay, so all the business all the businesses okay. selling alcohol were under one license. Wow. And that's how Bida started. Okay. So if I understand well, you were a few investors in Bidels. It's not only you or was it only you? No, so Borough Market was born out of ideas, yeah. not real money. Okay. Yeah. So there's, I mean, I know there was a time that you could achieve things without major investment. Mm -hmm. So we kind of built Bidels off zero investment. We built it, you know, we, we did a minimum investment. We all put a bit, uh, but... It wasn't like, oh, we do the business plan. He has 50,000, 50, 100. We need like this, run deposit and everything. So we gathered. And, and because we had the running businesses, we can di dig a bit on the day-to-day -day cash flow. Of course. And we, we build it from here. But we really, I can say, we never invested. We weren't like, oh, this is the business plan. Let's borrow from the banks and everything. So that was kind of natural. And, you know, like anything at Borough Market at the time, you know, that was like, passionate people and you know the real makers were there so that's what i loved about it you know at the end of every saturday at borough market there was like a bunch of people that like to be together i was bringing the wine the other one was bringing the lamb the, the, and it was partying and and a, a great get together An incredible alignment of passionate people nomads as well that's why borough market started to crystallize because that was full of passion full of real expertise when you say no investment, that means it was just like starting from the scratch. Right. Just... So you did, we, we did things organically. We had the opportunity to have a lease at Borough Market. We thought it would be a good idea to, to have a shop. And we took the lease on, specifically Stephen Harrison. And it was like, oh, what do we do with this? Mm. What are we going to do? So it was like, we do wine well. And then we started the magic. Uh, we okay. started the incredible. So there's something I've read about some, something you stated, and you did say you developed a uh, method of training yeah. in your staff. Yeah. Can you talk a bit more about that? How First, yeah, training is just not the word. Mm. You have to do it. It's like a program. It's a program. And training needs to be fun. Mm. Training needs to be encouraging people don't want to wake up because you know what you need to realize is hospitality you finish at midnight one o'clock you go back home you tired and the following day you start again and, and you start 10 o'clock 11. if you're gonna have another hour sleep you're gonna do it but normally training happens at 10 o'clock and you're like oh. so you have to make training compulsory mm -hmm. and you have to pay people during the training yeah. and then you need to make it fun straight and self-tuition at the same time you need to make people speak so I used to have a program because we used to have quite a few bidders. At some point, we had 100 people working for the company. So oh, like... That's how many sites? So we had three bidders, but we had the stores and markets. We had other stores okay. all around. So 
paradise stores and everything. So mm-hmm. I remember like 2009, Stephen Harrison going to this. Do you realize we got 180 people at Christmas, you know, when you got like all yeah. the help you need, everything for the, for the few days last week. But we used to do training and the training is in wine, where do you start? Because the one we used to do used to be people, we used to say very technical. You need to insufflate the passion. You need to insufflate the love of Mother Earth the Gaia, the soul, mm. you know, you need to listen to it. You need to understand the nuances, the cultural differences, and you need to understand what you like, what you don't like. And, and you need to train people as sales technique. You know, the, one of the best sales lady, Mara from Spain, she came to England. She couldn't speak English within three months. She was my best sales girl. Uh, she couldn't speak English. I mean, she, but communication is nonverbal. She used to be lethal. But she, she had the passion. Mm-hmm. She was like, no, don't take this. I told you not to take this. You like this. Take free. Yeah. I was like, whoa, great. That's good. I'll do the deal. I'll do the soft. We're gonna keep <laughs> the soft. And talk to you about like the program. Uh, I saw you start to do the Master of Wine, right? Yeah, yeah. I started to do Master of Wine. The course is great. Because I know I'm, that, I'm that's glad that's you're the, asking the question because... That's the only grail uh, for every... Uh, like, uh, somebody. People working in wine industry, there's the master of wine. I kind of, so uh, at the time, I got kind of invited to the masters of wine. So I made my application, I got accepted. I could see the masters of wine needed a bit more people like me, Mm -hmm. entrepreneurial, from the other perspective of the wine, a bit more hands-on, no no offense, but less of, you know, there there was a lot of buyers from Tesco, a lot of buyers and Mark Spencer's. A very corporate environment. So I, I had a great time, a great time. I've done the two first years. Don't think I fitted very well. Into the program. Uh, yeah. it, it, I fitted the program well. I didn't fit it very well, the Master of the Wine. Mm. Uh, the reason why I've stopped the Master of the Wine is because I started to work for, for Robert Parker. Okay. So for Bob. So I, I, I couldn't really do both, both same time because I thought in my mind, once you work with Bob, you don't need most of the wine. That's the thing. And can you just maybe for people who don't really know, maybe Robert Parker, who is Robert Parker in the wine industry? Who knows? Who knows? Is <laughs> <laughs> the Neil Armstrong of the wine. Uh, yeah, kind of. He's the only one, you know, who walked on the moon and few others walked on the moon, but nobody remember them. Is <laughs> the man that made, and I'm French, so bringing on because French have anti-Americanism. They hate Robert Parker because he represents everything we hate about the wine, judging, scoring. But you know what? I, I can't fault him. He's the nicest guy in the world. He speaks French with me. He's like my grandfather. And he's got incredible palettes for all the, the incredible reasons. Do you know what's impressed me about Bob? Is name Neil. You know Neil? The Matrix. Neil. Okay, Matrix, yeah. yeah. He sees the number. Yeah. He sees the matrix. <laughs> when he drinks wine, he's 13 years. I said, what, what are you talking? He says, the tannin structure, the acidity. F- forget the fruit, you know, like red fruit, you know, who cares about cranberry, raspberry, whatever. It's <laughs> red fruit. But the structure of the wine, the integration of tannin, the, the, the tannins within the wine is such that even 30 years, longevity on the wine, you can buy the wine. You can buy the wine and it's going to last for 30 years. Therefore, you can speculate on the wine. So that's the thing about Bob. He's the man who see through the tendons, the quality of the tendons, 
the subtlety of the tannins. And that's what makes the whole difference. So everybody thinks got preconceived ideas. Everybody thinks they know they, 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 they've learned one or two things. Everybody thinks Bob's love the fruit. For, forget about it. You know, when we, we, we used to be with him, we was older, like Pinot Noir, Burgundy, tannic wines, tough. But, you know, it is. It's the much more di di difficult to understand. So I'm going to give you, give you an example. So Bob is known because you can see the structure of the wine and you can invest in the wine. And he had a problem, and that's why in France, Robert Parker is not very liked or wasn't very liked till we worked with him in, in Burgundy because in Bordeaux, the chateau is an entity. So you own the chateau, you own the plot of land, and this is like Chateau Margot. This is it. That's your plot of land. And you make a Chateau Margot, okay? Yeah. Every year, you can be different, but the Chateau Margot, you start. But in Burgundy, Clovujo, 80 hectares, 61 makers, making 60 different wines. Yeah. Especially in Burgundy, it's so different to so, so, 10 meters difference. Exactly. So you get one plot of wine, 60 people thinking very hard about how to express the wine, 60 different expressions. And you're like, how can we judge it? Because I don't understand the vintage. Because there's there's no keys for him. Of uh, I would say me as if I was talking. Yes. Uh, like Robert Parker. You know, <laughs> I can postulate that Robert Parker. No, but it was like no, I, I can't taste it because I don't have the the true picture of the vintage. Yeah, Bob made a difference in 1982 when he was the only one to acknowledge 1982 vintage, being the second one revolution or the third one revolution. Mm. The first one happened in 1656, and the third, the second one happened between the two wars. But in 1982, there's one like different one technique mm -hmm. started to be introduced, uh, you know, where you and so on. And what happened, he was the only one to acknowledge the quality of the wine has changed. And it's just in 1986, Bob was saying, 82 is amazing. And 86, everybody's his wine. So they started to, to follow him and follow him. And it was, with no doubt, the use in both, you know, I don't know how many people transcend their discipline like Bob did. And there's only one. So I think this is Bob. Okay. I think maybe that's why, I mean, a, a lot of people are a bit skeptical about Parker or just people who judge wine. I think it's probably maybe because sometimes they feel like one people, if they judge your wine and they say, oh, let's say it's 80 out of 100, they can ruin the career of the, of the vineyard, you know what I mean? They can completely destroy a vineyard oh, yeah. of giving a very bad rating. So I think maybe that's why some people are like, they don't like really appreciate like people would judge wine because you can easily destroy like a career of a winemaker or, you know. If you're a good winemaker, you're quite confident. And, and as well, don't, don't forget the big picture. So, and I'm like, it's not because I work for Albert Parker. It's just if you see what he accomplished for the French vineyards, is basically re in 1980, 1970, I, I can't remember, in the 80s, he's trying this great vertical called mm -hmm. And it was like hardly planted. He's like, oh, I like it. I'm going to start to write about it. Oh, uh, he likes the one for Cote Rotti. I'm going to start to write about it. Then he started to write about Chateau de Pape, which is by far his, his favorite wines. And he's kind of recreated Condrieu. Mm. Region is recreated. Thank you. Thank you. No, no, but, no, but you, you, you think 
maybe one winemaker might be scared of losing the reputation. But if you look at the big picture, okay, Côte d'Iron, or, you know, really put back the Côte d'Iron on the map, mm. Northern Côte d'Iron, which is, I mean, amazing. See, I'm from Northern Rhone, I'm shivering already thinking about yeah. it. It's like, oh, give it 40, Stefan Montes. Whoa, oh, something happened to you, which is not nice. So, you know, it's like slap in the face. Yeah. yeah. And I like it. And Bordeaux, you know, you, you know, Bordeaux is like, so if you're not a very confident one maker, maybe you might fail. And it, you can't please everybody. But I think I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. If I am correct, you still had Bidel's running and he approached you. No, so what, what happened? I, when I was doing Bidel's, I got invited in Singapore to organize a wine tasting. Hmm. And by a friend of mine, and with him, we contacted Rob Parker because we wanted somebody who knew a bit about wine. So we picked up the phone basically, and we phoned Robert Parker and says, you seem to be knowing what you're talking about. And we need somebody in Singapore. I think nobody else than you can pull the weight we want on the wine tastings. Would you like to work with us? I was like, and at the time, no, it's on 10, that was like the Asian, the Tigers, the fascination. And I think he has this kind of attraction for Asia, this kind of mystery and kind of says, yeah, why not? I'm in. And, and we organize this incredible wine tasting, which is, it's called Parker in Asia in Singapore, which like, I mean, we've done it incredible. We invited 401 makers, all Aubryon. How was the party at the end? The party. So it's like 401 makers, 5,000 guests over three days. We did the party at the end. We did a dinner. Uh, gala dinner, which is 800 guests, six chefs. And what we did with Bob, we said, look, Bob, if you were to drink one wine again, but choose seven of them, what would they be? And we supplied the wine. Nice. So, so you found the wine we, and you supplied. So, so what we did, we sourced the wine. So it was seven or eight wines, eight chefs. We flown eight chefs from the different parts of, uh, of Asia. And that was the party at the end. So we had, we started to eat to Pichon Lanon. We had Arlen, we had Chateau d'Iquet, we had Quinta de Noval, we had Le Méal, white, 96. Wow. But the problematic with this, like when you eat of the most favorite wine, Robert Parker, at some point after the third, fourth wine, you explode, you know, like what's happening? You know, it's like, you know, the best of the best. Yeah. And you're like, I can't cope with it. Yeah. There's too much emotion, you know. Only one wine would be enough. Just to eat, you know, it's enough. Yeah, you know, like, he came 2001. It was like, I was a baby. I was like, and we went partying with the Ikem. Oh, yeah, cool. we're, we're clubbing with it. He came in the nightclub. That's <laughs> oh, I like. like, you know, we're like, because that. it's saturated. So we did, you know, we pushed a bit. <laughs> so that's it. So we did the seven and Robert Parker went like, and especially with my friend in Asia, I was like, oh, I really, what you did, guys. I'd, lo I'd like you to work with me. But I, I knew like, I'm be there, you know, I'm like nobody. So yeah, my job with Robert Parker was creating events like Matter of Taste. We created Matter of Taste yeah. to generate a bit traction on the online sales, yeah. on the subscription, making Robert Parker more visible. So we did a world tour. I mean, as as you do, a pop star. <laughs> and we did uh, private dining, which private dinners was uh, like 1928, you name it, 1929, you name it, 1947, 1940s. So, I had so many 
highlights. I like 
90 cents, you, uh -huh. you get nothing from it. But I, I'm sure like before it was very good. Yeah. Unfortunately, I was not able to drink something. <laughs> so so uh, you'll be disappointed for your 30s if someone gets you a, a 97 yeah, in a bottle. Yeah, guys, buy me like a 95 or 2000, <laughs> I'll be very happy <laughs> instead. <laughs> so I've got a good question. You arrived in London at what age? 27. Uh, 27. What, so you were already into wine at 27 years old. You were quite interested. You, you, you know, you've done a few studies in wine. Mm. What was your perspective when you arrived in London in terms of the wine that was out there and what you could buy in shops? What was it? How was it back then? I think I'm going to disappoint you on my own time. Okay. Because London yeah. is the epicenter of the wine world. London. That's is extraordinary you know there's even you know when you go to france even supermarket there's like french wine how boring yeah it, and only from the, the same region i'm, I'm a geographer so you arrived in tesco i remember visiting my friend matt you know, a year before i've settled i settled in uk and and arriving and we went to visit tesco you know that, that was like a museum like visiting i was like Whoa. one from argentina amazing one from bulgaria oh, wow and it's, if you're lucky you can find some one from romania or or from uh, hungary called twin towers or like the i can't remember like the tower or something and and there was one from germany there was one from everywhere hong kong now is starting to be like very strong on the wine especially like all the fine wine yeah but hong kong is which I know reasonably well, is owned by English one merchant. Ah, uh, probably, probably, yeah. yeah. So mostly a Singapore as well. So they're all enclave of the old empire and mm. still, so, it's, so even if you say Singapore, Hong Kong, this still niche. I mean, I'm, I maybe get crucified or murdered by saying this, but still Bay Brothers, Conan Barrow and so on, like very old institution. Yeah, from England uh, doing this. So yeah, the palette in England in terms of wine is extraordinary. Mm. England invented, so England invented Bordeaux. Mm. They created Champagne. They were drinking Burgundy because of the Burgundy was a good connection with England. They created Rioja. They created Madeira. They created Sherry. They created, so it was like most of the wine, they, they created Sauvignon, they, they buying the most Sauvignon Blanc. Sauvignon Blanc, they love the Sauvignon Blanc. From, so, so, England is like crazy about wine, more than. It's funny because France. so when we speak French person, they, they they talk about the land, the region. In England, you talk about the great variety. I like Sauvignon Blanc. I like mm. Chardonnay. That's a very good and point. So on. And yeah. then you meet the middle ground. So I don't think you know more. It's not because you know Saint-Emilion, or you know more. You know, it's probably it's probably you know less because you hide be behind the the, the region. region. But if you're like, oh, you know, I like Carmenet, you're like, oh, well, that's Carmenet. point, actually, yeah. Never thought of that. So that, that's why I press yeah. my hurts a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're completely right. Yeah, but there is this. I, I, yeah, I feel like it makes sense. You know, for example, even now, if you ask to a very like, big wine connoisseur, what is the main reason for wine I don't know in Romania? Probably they're not going to not gonna yeah. be able to tell you, like, which region is the, you know, the biggest in Romania because they know about wine, but, like, they're not born in Romania. Maybe they've yeah. never been in Romania. Maybe they don't know the grape of Romania. So basically, they are like very skilled in wine. Yeah. But you cannot, that's why we said at the beginning, that's the beauty of the wine industry. You can learn a lot. You're never going to be able to know everything. 
And I feel like that's the beauty of the wine. It's like you amazing. always need yeah. to learn more. Yeah. I mean, and it changes every year. Like. Yeah. So I don't think like French people are better in wine than other people. I just think we are lucky enough to have more access to, to used to be like the leader in wine at the beginning because now before like people see French as a, a baguette and the French wine, you know what I mean? Yeah, and of course. And the bottle of red wine. So I feel like we're lucky enough to have amazing terroir, amazing vineyard mm -hmm. in France. Mm -hmm. That's why people are like, oh, like French wine, vineyard, but one. But if you see, I don't know, Italy, I love Italy. I'm a huge fan of uh, the Italy terroir, especially in terms of, uh, of wine. I love the food as well, but the wine is amazing. We don't necessarily think, oh, you're Italian, so you know a lot about wine. No, it's just, I think it's a culture thing because, you know, I, re I remember hearing from my grandparents, you know, back at school at a canteen at lunchtime, we used to get, a, you know, a little glass of wine with, you know, yeah. our food, which it's in our blood as being French, which they, that's not how they were brought up in the UK or no. other countries. Yeah, maybe along the years has been a bit forgotten or I don't know, I'm just, you know, speaking out loud, but maybe that's the thought that we have as being French as saying, yeah, we know a lot about wine, but some, no, actually, you... I, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily true. I like, can I spend hours on this subject. Yeah. 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 Like, not start me. No. <laughs> but, I mean, honestly, because... I can see the voice of God somewhere here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe you can just uh, a little chatter on, on it. I'll, I'll tell you. If you want to, I mean, it's really interesting. You know, the Italian is about history. So the France was created, you know, like the nation of France was created then altogether much earlier than Italy. The homogenization of France was way earlier than Italy because Italy became a country just after Garibaldi in early in the end of 1900. And with this, you had thousands of principality. And with this, they kept their grape variety. So that's why they got six, three or four, five, six thousand grape variety in Italy. Uh -huh. In France, we lost it after the phylloxera. And we lost everything. I mean, I'm, it's, it's, we, maybe we need to do another session on it because we can, do uh, we can start something we like endless. But, and this is it. So Italy, they got more local grape variety because they got independence or they got the nation a bit later. So they got the principality, yeah. kept their own grape variety. So that's why you got like the regional grape variety that you don't find in France. Yeah. And this is the beauty because we came, France lost lots of the local grape variety during a big disease that called phylloxera in 1875. And they lost it for 30 years worth. Most of grape variety died in France mm. and they had to be replaced with and replanted. About replanting, we had to replant the grape variety that thrived, Cabernet Sauvignon, you know, Chardonnay. But with this, we've lost sending grape variety. Mm -hmm. And in Jura, you got the Trousseau, the, Sav the Savagnin, the Pulsar. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Okay. But there's very few grape variety that survived from it. It's not a lot. Yeah, actually. Um, Talking about grapes, what's the, the, your favorite grapes so far? Um, I like, it depends what, what I'm after. Mm -hmm. Quench the thirst, okay. Freshness, or depth of understanding. So it depends the mood you are in it. So I like like great variety. I like doesn't mean it can't be tannic, but I like menthia mm -hmm. from Spain. I like frappato from Sicily. I like sagrantino from the middle part of Umbria, which is like. The night in the battlefield never surrender. Uh -huh. Incredible grape variety, which is full of energy and full of freshness as well. Very microscopic. I like Petit Rouge, I like Cornalin 
from Switzerland. So I, I like more, I like altitude wines when the, the grapes is tortured, create the survival instincts and create the best barriers possible with acidity, tannins and alcohol. And this, that's the legacy. The best balance. The, the best unbalance, what makes the best wine. And balance. <laughs> <laughs> makes the personality. So just a quick break. I'd like to take a minute to say a big thank you to our sponsor for today's episode, which is Workforce.com. They are the market leader in labor and HR tool on the market for hospitality businesses across the UK and Europe. Workforce is helping organizations to give their managers the info to make their best data-driven decisions. You can routinely hit wage revenue targets by slashing labor costs and integrating your till system. Now, one of my favorites is stopping the weekly Excel spreadsheets log and turn payroll into a five-minute job, ensuring that everyone gets paid correctly every time. Additionally, never manually calculate how much holiday your staff are owed again, which includes working out the average leave allowance for you. Also, improve staff retention by using the engagement boosters. Now, I've been using Workforce.com for the past four years for both of my businesses. And it has saved me so much time and hassle. So is your staff management process just more work than it should be? Then join workforce.com now. Now back to the podcast. For you, the most overrated grapes and underrated grapes. It's the most overrated grape. Um, say Pinot Gris. Don't, okay, say, so, pi don't say Pinot Gris. No, pi <laughs> no, the thing is, Pinot Gris is not even the equation. Yeah, it's no. gone. <laughs> I mean, is I don't even think about this, you know. And the rated grape, I think a lot of grape variety are, are trying to be expressed at the moment. Mm. So I don't think, you know, I think lots of winemakers are making lots of research because with the transition or global warming, they are trying to match the replant, replanting the best grape variety for the, the weather they have, and they don't understand it. But the most underrated, the most overrated grape, I love this grape, but I think it's Malbec. By by far, oh yeah, because overrated, overrated, yeah. because everybody loves Malbec. You, I mean, and it's no offense to anybody. When you think you know a bit, you order Malbec, and you're like, so if you order Malbec from Uko Valley, the high altitude Malbec, not from the plane from Mendoza, nah. because it could be bland, it could be obvious, but it's the Coca Cola, so mm. you're never disappointed. You know what you get. And it's, the standards are good, very good. Like some Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand, you know what you get? You never get disappointed, but you never get the highlights. Huh? In, in. So, Especially when Sauvignon Blanc is from New Zealand, yeah, it's difficult to be like, wow, very surprised by wine. Yeah. So though, because I happen to, um, to know reasonably well the wine from New Zealand, actually quite well. This, depending how close you are from in Marlborough, from the the seafront, you can get wild by Sauvignon Blanc. Mm -hmm. Some of them are spectacular. I mean, it's like insane. But yeah, we can spend a, another chapter on That's it. one of the one of the things I regret not doing any visit of uh, vineyards in New Zealand when I was there. I was yeah. very close to Marlborough actually. Never came around doing it. Didn't have time, unfortunately. So I, I do. I I that's, that's amazing. Yeah, when you're on the other side vision. of the world, you have to do it. But I yeah. just didn't have the, the time. No. Yeah, it's it's something they do extraordinarily well, and some some of the wine using it are extraordinary. Just need to 
to look for it. Mm. Um, sadly, you know, with COVID and so on, because the, the rich of New Zealand is export market or, and the local capacity is not big enough. Lots of vineyards struggle. Yeah. And I've seen in Wairapa in the north, so Christchurch, South Island, there's a beautiful wine region for me, which I love so much. Is this, this Pinot Noir over there is North Canterbury. Okay, yeah. I love it. And lots of vineyards oh, disappeared. And they were very, how do you call this? Experimental. And looking at very continental, burgundy-like wine. So I'll give you an example. Montford, from this part of the world, we, they, I can't see, I can't remember, it's block five, or oh, it's not block, but five. We used to do blind tasting against the best burgundy and the, the best moist underneath, like this kind of grain attention. And he was taking the wine. He was taking the burgundy, blind tasting. Amazing wine. But what happened is during COVID, the local were not buying the wine and they couldn't export. And so the impact on vineyard has been dramatic over there. Mm, okay. If you go to New Zealand, I'm, I'll send you some good places yeah. to go. Cause... Uh, so it's a bit too far now, but yeah. who knows one day. I only went there as a backpacker working there. So I was very limited in terms of budget of what I could do. But if I would go back again, I'd definitely go with a bit more money That's and, you know, do more Central Tiger is amazing. It's very nice. Just a question. So the most overrated, so we have oh, the Malbec, yeah. the most underrated. I think the most underrated wine must be the white wine from Bordeaux. Wow. This is probably the best buy to impress people you could ever do. Okay. The southern parts of Bordeaux, the town of Bordeaux, the Grave region, the Pessac Leonio has hidden gem that you can't even start to comprehend. Forget the reds. The, wine, the red are amazing because this region has this kind of, the forest called the land. And it acts as a like moderator. So it's never too hot, never too cold. The vineyard over there is completely preserved for overheating. And it's always humid as well because it's not far from for, the forest. So the Cabernet Sauvignon, the Merlot, the Cabernet Franc and so on, they thrive over there. And it's, they got this kind of subwa, this kind of woody, element but never forget you know like the white wine over there which are extraordinary and Schfusal, if you want to spend 30 pound on the white wine that's wisely spent go bordeaux white but not entre de mer but the southern part of it i do love the entre de mer you know just yeah. just the, the entre de mer very like in front of the saint emilion area I feel like they do some really good Sauvignon Blanc and Sauvignon Gris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. probably one of the most underrated grapes oh, in yeah. France and in the world because there's not so much Sauvignon Gris. But like the blend, I tried one last time with called Chateau Altagaya. It's a, it's a perfect blend of 70% Sauvignon Blanc and just 30% Sauvignon Gris. And the balance, it's, it's unbeatable. Uh, yeah. Amazing. So, it's, so yeah, Entre de Mer is very experimental at the moment yeah. because, you know, about hospitality. If you're a wine buyer or, you know, you're somebody who wants to buy wine at the moment for your place, never forget Bordeaux because whatever you do, Bordeaux is the benchmark. Mm. You always go back to Bordeaux, first thing. The second thing is Bordeaux is struggling because there's an overproduction of Bordeaux. But the, the paradox about this, 
the one has never been as good as they've been for the past four years. The wine are singing. There's no bad wine. Absolutely no bad wine in Bordeaux at the moment. But he can't sell it. Mm-hmm. So he's not, I'm not saying go and support Bordeaux, but what I'm saying, buy Bordeaux because the market is down. They need to sell and you're going to pick up incredible flavors for no money. And it's still the benchmark of no wine, whether you like it or not. You know, I don't like Bordeaux. If, if somebody tells you, is a wine somebody, I don't like Bordeaux, never talk to them again. <laughs> because you, you need to open your heart. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not cerebral. The truth is in the wine. No, that's true. But I mean, if there's some region at the moment, like uh, the, the Jura, the Savoie, I really love it. But since five, six years now, they're really banging. And so now the price for Jura wine, like Auvergne, for example, the prices are just so expensive. Yeah. The best example is the Mendetour mm. or Chateau Rias, who like 10 years ago, it was really affordable. And even now it's really affordable. I'm not going to say the price you can buy at the vineyard, but it's pretty low. But like the price you can buy like in an auction or anything is like five, six times. It's like crazy. And I'm talking about the Mendetour, but like Chateau Rias now I think is a thousand mm. for a bottle, thousand point two. That's a good one. And everybody's back, so everybody's trying to stock Rias and I feel but like it's you great. Know what? It's great. Anybody I, that drinks Rias is yeah. a for surprise because it's not what they expect. Oh, it's really good. But yeah, Rias, because it's grown on pink sand, it's very different profile than any other Chateau Neuf du Pain. It's super light. It's Grenache based. So it's like, you expect a big monster and he's not. And, and you know, to come back to the Jura, you know, I'm from Jura. I mm. grew up uh, four kilometers away from Auvergne. Okay. Say PPR mm. in Arbor. And uh, so the Jura is like mountain wine, but which is like 800 meters. So it's not that mountain, not far from Burgundy. And you know, when I was in school and uh, in Poligny or next to Arbor, you know, like, so you got, Poligny, Bivy, Pipillon, two villages, you know, 200 people each, you know, mm. I, together, 350, I'll give it to you. Mm. I mean, it's like really, you know, and you were the son of a winemaker. You were such a loser. You know, we will not talk to sons of winemaker. They're farmers. You know, mm. they couldn't sell their wine. <laughs> hey, Pulsar is the most disgusting wine. What's the most disgusting wine ever seen? Trousseau, awful. I mean, you know, now I see people, so amazing. It's like, okay, thanks global warming first. Second thing, you know, second thing, okay, quality of, of wine making. But thing, thanks, thanks. You need to thank Bordeaux and Burgundy because nobody can afford it. So Auvergne is very cheap compared to the Burgundy because the Bur- Burgundy, they are out of price. Auvergne, Cuvée de Jorglog, anytime, huh? we can share a bottle. I yeah. love it. But 20, I can't say, 20 years ago. Um, it was nothing. It was nothing. I remember doing a wine tasting in Dulwich, a wine, how do you call that? A wine, no academy, a wine association in Dulwich. And I've done, 2006, I did, I picked up all the wine from Jura, Brut Mac, for Chateau Chalon, all the top wines. Nobody knew them. They're like, oh, it's a bit of quiet taste. Oh, I don't know if I like it. Oh, it's a bit tough. Isn't it? And now, 10 years after, people are going to say, have you heard of Savania? <laughs> I was like, you know, some. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's <laughs> That's true. it. It's true. You know, I was like, oh. But you know what? There's one thing. 
if you can't afford to buy Chardonnay from Burgundy, go for Jura. Yeah. It's still expensive, but go for the Jura Chardonnay are like 10 years old Burgundy within two years. They are so good. Because I can spend hours talking about the yeasts, but there's a Bayonis yeast that creates this. Anyway, you got these nutty flavors into it. The Chardonnay from Ganver, I can die for it. It's yeah. so good. I love it. Pricey. But like compared to like Burgundy, it's nothing. And wine from Altitude Wine, there's a future. There's a huge future. I think it, so there's a few vineyards that were called experimental vineyards. And Jura, Savoir, and so on. They're there. But there's some beauty about it. There's some craziness. There's abuse in terms of, say, for instance, in Arbois, there's people that are doing natural wine that, you know, you drink and says, what the heck is this? You know, is it me? Have I missed? I'm like, I've been trained by the old guards. Mm. Robert Parker, we're all gone. That's it. We, we has been, as we say in French. Yeah. We don't understand mm. what's wrong with this world. But I think, you know, because the price of one were so high that people want to hang on something they can afford to drink. Right. Good conversation. A good uh, sure, yeah. I, I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. I, I think, you know, this calls for probably a part two later on down the line. We, uh, we can do a part two. Beaujolais versus the Jura. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's more to, to it. And I mean, we, we have to ask the, our audience if they want to, you know, know a bit more because thank you very much for all the, you know, recommendations and you know, all the stories and, you know, knowledge that you just gave, which is, you know, very rare to find even on the internet to be yeah. sure, you know. I mean, I'm not as much in wine as you both are, but yeah, I think this whole conversation could actually go for another <laughs> two well, hours. Fine. Yeah, a big thank you for all of that. And thank you very much. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, thanks. thanks. Congrats on the, no, the podcast. The, the podcast <laughs> is like, it's, it's quite cool. Thank, thank you. you very much. And if you as well, uh, if you'd like to ask us about your experience, please don't hesitate to send us a little message on Instagram, you know, breaking the cork, follow us, of course. Um, we'll be very grateful for the support. We'll be on YouTube uh, podcast, um, Spotify, Apple podcast. Arnaud, a last word before we finish the podcast. One thing is about entrepreneurship. You know, you've got an idea, go for it. Push it. It's hard, difficult. Don't overthink it. Try people to believe in your project. And it's not all about money. It's not about the, the, the business plan. One good idea, but you have to push. Mm. You know, you know I was lucky enough to be at the right moment, catch the right train, but you, ne you need to grasp the opportunity when it's there. So create opportunity. I completely agree on that, to be honest. Thank you very much, Arno. Thank, Thank you, guys. Welcome. Thank you, and um, we'll see you next episode. See you next week. Take care. Bye-bye.